This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. The city of Chattanooga is getting ready to vote for a new mayor and city council. Early voting will begin February 10th and end on February 25th. The deadline to request an absentee ballot is February 23rd. Election day is March 2nd. Please visit the Hamilton County Election Commission website for more details. I'm here with Kim White. She is running for mayor of the city of Chattanooga. And Kim, if you could just tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. It's great to be here. So I am a native of Chattanooga and I'm homegrown. I went to Hickson High School. I'm the first of my immediate family to go to college and lived at home and worked myself through UTC. I left after college and was gone for 20 years. I worked for a Fortune 500 company and was moved all over the South uh, from Augusta to Atlanta to Birmingham to Fort Myers. And then in 2003, my husband and I decided that we wanted to put down roots in the city and came back here and and boy, did I ever, right? So I moved here without um, a job. I really looked for ways to put my passion into practice. And uh, my first job out of the shoot was running Bob Corker's real estate company. I've been involved mm-hmm. in the community from serving on the Erlanger board, from UTC, chairing the foundation. I now serve on the UT board of trustees. I was appointed by Governor Haslam at the time. And for the last 11 years, a lot of people may know me as my role as CEO of uh, River City Company. Uh, we are, River City Company is a downtown nonprofit uh, economic development organization focused on making downtown great. So we've been involved in things like the aquarium, the climbing gym, the river walk. Mm-hmm. I did that for 11 years and really loved making a difference in a city that has meant so much to me, but have felt like at this critical juncture in our city, that my unique skill set and experiences really lends itself to try to bring our community together and move it forward. So I've embarked on this journey for the mayor's race. I announced September 10th and um, have been out in the neighborhoods meeting folks. And uh, really, it's been a very exhilarating experience uh, up till now. Great. Well, I just want you to kind of walk through your your vision for Chattanooga. What is what is it that you see as Chattanooga's top strength? What is it that we can capitalize on to make this city better? Well, Chattanooga is absolutely one of the most beautiful, great places to live. Uh, People are moving here in droves from all over. Uh, We have natural beauty. It's uh, the right size city that you can get involved. I'm proof that you're someone that can come in and want to make a difference and you can figure out your path. I think that's very unique uh, in this city. I think that we are on a on the cusp of really um, a really a critical crossroads about how we move our city forward in a positive way and one that includes all parts of our city. And that's what really inspired me to run for mayor is that my role at River City Company was all about downtown. And I know and I've seen that there are other parts of our community that don't feel like they're part of it. And how can we bring opportunity to all parts of the city? Um, I plan on doing that. One is uh, you have to have job opportunities in order to to do that. And those job opportunities have to be, have to touch every neighborhood. We need to uh, support small and medium-sized businesses. And I think that we've all seen with COVID um, how critical those small businesses are to the authenticity and quality of our city and how tough 
it has been for them. Mm -hmm. So we plan to have an office of small business support going out in the community to bring resources and make sure that we can deploy resources well. So a focus on small and medium-sized businesses throughout the community, that's a big piece. Um, in order to grow our city, we need to have the right type of infrastructure and um, making sure that we focus on quality roads and paving and that we're able to grow our city in the right way. Uh, making sure that our city is safe and everybody feels safe in their city, making sure that we can uh, recruit and hire uh, and retain minority first responders, people that look like those in the neighborhoods and they can become part of the community, but it takes more police officers to do that. And um, I think underlying my policy is, and I think it, it's critical for our city to move forward, is we have to be, have a city government that is easy to do business with mm -hmm. and encourages people that want to start businesses or grow their businesses and take away some of those roadblocks. I've talked to numerous um, uh, large companies and small companies that say that we don't have a very business-friendly environment. And so to come in and reorganize uh, city government and empower some of those great employees that we have there uh, so they can do their job better um, is going to be one of the first things that I, I take a look at. Great. And um, just talking about that kind of making sure that small and medium-sized businesses can, can have that open dialogue with the city, opening up those channels, uh, that brings me to a question that I hear a lot from my listeners is, you know, not just for, for small and medium-sized businesses, but for citizens, a lot of people feel like they don't have the same interactions with the city government that they would like to, that they're not feeling heard. Um, I've heard Chattanooga described many times as still being a good old boys club. And, and I'm just wondering, how, how are you going to make sure that all Chattanoogans feel equally represented in city government? Well, maybe we stop the good old boys club by electing the first female mayor. Right. So that, that's how that's how we can put an exclamation point on that one. Um, but I do think that especially during this this whole mayoral campaign, we have had so many neighborhoods come together and we're doing Zoom calls every single night. I, I, mm -hmm. After this one, I have another one. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's really coalesced the neighborhood voice. And I'm excited about that. I believe that city government, as well as leadership, is bottom up, not top down. And I plan and my staff plans to be active and available and working with those neighborhoods and then with their city council reps. So we're all pulling the same way as we look at priorities. Right now, it seems like in order for citizens to have a voice, they have to come to a city council meeting or they have to come to a big planning session. And quite honestly, a lot of people have multiple jobs or maybe don't have transportation or maybe don't feel comfortable we need to take city government back out into the neighborhoods so we can really actually hear those voices. So that has been a cornerstone of how I've run my campaign. That's how I started with my policies. I went to the neighborhoods and listened first before I came out with a slew of policies. I wanted to make sure that we were addressing what those needs are. And that's what I plan to do in city government. Great. Uh, I want to move on towards kind of your broader agenda. The, the Burke administration, they've split their agenda into four focus areas, and that's smarter students, stronger families, safer streets, stronger neighborhoods, and growing economy. I'm just wondering, how are your organizational priorities going to be the same or different from the Burke administration? And how are these priorities going to affect the 
organization of your departments as you know the mayor has the power to reorganize the departments of the city government sure so we plan to jump in and really do a deep dive with how we again streamline policies and make it easier for people to find those resources uh, instead of putting big buckets uh, we want to be a leaner, meaner um, organization that, like, again, we're focused on job creation and growth. Uh, we are focused on streets, roads, infrastructure uh, through our public works department. Uh, we're focused on strengthening neighborhoods and with affordable housing policy. Um, in fact, I have a great affordable housing policy I'd like to talk about, but it, it really is how do we strengthen neighborhoods? So I think instead of looking at these for catch-all buckets or whatever the catch-all buckets are, it really is, we're gonna make sure that we're strategically aligned uh, with goals that we, 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 we're very transparent with. Mm -hmm. uh, so it is number of jobs created, number of housing units created, but not so much, um, we're not gonna so much wordsmith and vision, we're actually gonna get out and, and do the work. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned affordable housing, that does draw into another question that I hear a lot about, um, you know, people are worried about that, you know, some people are worried there's too much development. Some people are worried that there's not enough development. So it's it's one of those things that's really hard to make everyone happy. I'm wondering what direction is your administration going to take towards development, making sure we have affordable housing, but still having kind of a growing, vibrant economy? Well, the way that we grow our city uh, is we have to keep attracting investment. Uh, we're competing with lots of other cities, so we need to be a city that, that goes out and actively recruits new development and new investment. Um, I can tell you that there's not, there's not enough housing. There's a housing shortage right now, so we definitely don't have too much of it. We need all types of housing, but what I've seen is that the city really could play a role in helping with a piece of the affordable housing puzzle. The city has about 500 parcels of back tax derelict properties that need to get back on the tax rolls. And we can leverage those working with organizations like Chattanooga Neighborhood Enterprise and private developers that will agree to keep affordable housing units in those neighborhoods. So we have a plan um, to do that and have someone focus specifically on the housing piece in my administration. We plan to, to put $2 million a year into an affordable housing pool and work with banks and other organizations to create a larger pool. Um, and we think that we can get 700 units of affordable housing during my first term. We've looked at cities that do this much better than Chattanooga. Knoxville is one of those. And I don't think Knoxville does a lot better than we do on, in many things, but they, they have in the affordable housing realm. Some of it is also looking at some of our codes. And uh, right now, how do we make it easy so if people wanna have a garage apartment or a smaller home or accessory units, uh, right now our codes and zoning doesn't allow for that. So we wanna look at a recode rezoning piece in conjunction with that. I do believe we'll get some uh, federal government help uh, and we wanna be prepared and ready to deploy those. So we could get a lot more than 700 units if we get more additional funding. But that's a piece that I think, especially with my background with development, uh, understanding contractors, home builders, uh, understanding the private nonprofit world, how we can bring partners together to make a tremendous difference uh, at solving the affordable, not solving, but making a big dent in the affordable housing uh, market. Right. Um, one thing, and, and a lot of what you've already talked about has kind of tied into this, uh, a specific thing that a lot of people are worried about is gentrification, people being pushed out of neighborhoods where they have been for, you know, their whole life in some cases. And, and sometimes when people hear development, 
they hear gentrification, uh, they they think that developers are going to come in, raise the property values, and people are going to get pushed out. You've already talked about those 500-some parcels that the city owns and using those for affordable housing. Do you have any other policies in mind to make sure that Chattanoogans who are already settled in their neighborhoods can stay where they're comfortable, stay where they've lived for, for their- Sure. I mean, the biggest thing that we can do is we can encourage and find ways to encourage uh, home ownership because we want everyone to be able to um, grow wealth through home ownership. So, so bringing investment to the neighborhood, every neighborhood should have, have new investment. You don't want to have affordable housing just by neglect. Uh, so, so bringing additional investment is a good thing, uh, especially if people own their homes and have an opportunity to actually grow wealth that way. Um, the parcels that we do have um, have control of. You can put you can put requirements in that you know you have to keep them as an affordable housing unit right. at a certain level of income. If developers get any type of incentives because they are supplying an affordable housing piece or something like that, you can also put requirements there too. So mm -hmm. my, we need to bring investment, but we need to make sure we don't do things to displace people. I think that's where, right. where um, people get nervous and I definitely understand that. But home ownership is a key for right. creating wealth. And then something that's that's tied to this development and jobs and affordable housing is transportation. And you've, you've talked about this with, you know, repaving potholes and roads and things like that. Um, and there's a lot of different ways to go on transportation in terms of people are worried about the bike lanes that we're putting in. Some people love them. Some people hate them. Uh, same thing with sidewalks. Uh, there are areas of town where there, there are no sidewalks. There are areas of town where if you don't have a car, it's very difficult to get around. Uh, and so I'm wondering, we're focusing on small and medium-sized businesses. We're focusing on affordable housing. What is your policy to make sure that people can get from this affordable housing to those jobs and, and make sure that our transportation system operates efficiently? Sure. So Nathan, you're right. I mean, I think that um, CARTA needs to be more of a partner and they need to be at the table when we're talking about development. Right now, they're one of the most underfunded uh, public transportation departments in the country. So they can only do so much, uh, but they need more robust routes. They need to have an active partner at City Hall. I've committed to do that. Um, there, you, and we need to have as many modes of transportation as mm -hmm. possible. So neighborhoods want sidewalks. You're right. So sidewalks are really important. You know, one reason that the Riverwalk has been so successful is so many housing units have been on there. So people actually use that to go back right. and forth to work with bicycles and, and walking, et cetera. But public transportation is, is a huge key in how we grow our city smartly. So I've committed to Carta to make sure that they understand they will be an active partner as we plan and look at job recruitment, neighborhood reinvestment, how we can make them integral to everything that we do. And all of these policies that you've brought up have, have touched on the budget. I want to dive into that process a little bit in more detail. You know, you've talked about funding various pieces with certain dollar amounts, and I'm wondering just more generally, you know, the mayor is in charge of the budget writing process. If you were elected, you would be in charge of writing that and sending it to the city council. I'm wondering how, how will the community input process, the uh, budgeting for outcomes process that's in place currently, how do you think that might change under your administration? And how do you think the allocation of funds might change 
during their So I do think uh, the process will change. Uh, I mean, we're doing a pretty deep dive in the budget right now. And I think, um, you know, there is a budgeting for outcomes that, that says it has community engagement, but did you know less than 71 people participated in all of that this past? Right. right. So it really is not community participation. <laughs> it just checks a box for community participation. So like I said before, I think that the way we're going to, the way we manage is, and what way we'll lead is neighborhood up. So I've been out in the neighborhoods listening to priorities, and that's what we plan to do with the budget, not going through a process, but out listening to priorities. And then I will partner. The city council will be an active partner with me. Um, it, it will be a different process than what we have right now. So we're all pulling in the same way. Not that everybody gets everything they want, but we understand what the, what the joint priorities are. Mm -hmm. And to make sure that um, every neighborhood receives some attention. And that's what I'm hearing right now. Some neighborhoods feel left out. So um, what the end process will look like, I don't know, but I will say community engagement and neighborhood involvement will be a keystone to how we develop our neighborhood, our, our budget and our priorities. Mm -hmm. And then one particular piece of the budget that has gotten a lot of attention lately, especially this summer when the most recent budget was passed is policing. Uh, this summer, we had over 200 people sign up to speak at a city council meeting, mostly to express their dissatisfaction with the fact that the police department is receiving $70 million out of a budget of around $240 million. And so I'm wondering, you know, there's a lot of different suggestions on how to improve policing. Some people want to increase police funding to provide better training and, you know, better officers. And some people want to divest and reinvest and, and direct those funds elsewhere. So I'm wondering, what is your policy towards policing and, and what is your administration going to do to ensure all Chattanoogans feel safe? Sure. So um, I have yet to go to a neighborhood that said they want less police, less first responders. And uh, the matter of fact is 40% of the budget is fire and police. And that's just a fact. And in order to have a successful growing city, one of the cornerstones is people have to feel safe and secure. And um, so... I've, I've committed to put more resources behind fire and police. And what that would look like is more officers, more officers so they can get out of their cars and they can actually become more part of the community, uh, more funding so we can hire and recruit and retain more minority officers that look like the community. Um, it is how do we actually put resources that come alongside them to help with mental health and addiction treatment issues not to replace officers with those uh, professionals, but maybe a, a key component uh, that comes alongside the police department. Right. So I think that that's really important. Um, you know, I think less than a year ago, maybe right at a year ago, there was um, put in place the police, it's called the acronym is PARC. It is a community engaged organization that has like an oversight committee that works with the community and the police department really to work on communication, how we build community trust and to identify problem areas. That really has just now gotten underway and I'm excited to see like how that moves forward. Um, but I think underlying it all is we have to have community trust in order to do that. We have to have people out talking to each other and communicating. Mm -hmm. I've been very impressed with Chief Roddy uh, being very proactive and I've been a big supporter. Um, in fact, the 
Uh, both police unions came out in support of my campaign and candidacy yes, yesterday or day before. And, um, and I'm committed to be an active, engaged partner with them. And then you mentioned fire. I know an issue with, with fire department right now is that when you account for the fact that most of the firefighters work more than 40 hours a week, their hourly wages are actually quite low. They're sitting around $10 an hour for a lot of them. And that's hurting our retention rates, which is something you've mentioned a couple of times now is, you know, how do we retain these quality employees? The fire chief has estimated that raising pay to a more acceptable level would require about three and a half million dollars each year. Um, how would your administration handle this problem? Where does that rank in the list of priorities for you? Well, uh, well, making sure that our first responders are paid accordingly is one of one of my top priorities. So mm -hmm. I've committed to the um, uh, fire chief. I mean, we will go in. They've done a pay plan study that we'll go in and look at that. Uh, we also need to make sure their pension is shored up. So it's it's a double edged sword. We've got to we want right. to make sure that I mean that we take care of their pension and we take care of their pay. But um, but I'm committed to make sure that we are competitive and we can retain some of these employees. So pays pay and pay raises are a big piece of that. Hmm. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the response to COVID. I know we've been hit very hard in the past few months and we're, we're finally kind of seeing a downswing in the actual number of cases, but there is a lot of worry about kind of the economic fallout, especially uh, I know the eviction moratoriums have been extended and, you know, there's a lot of things happening at the federal level that will help with this, but what are we going to do at the, at the local level to make sure that the economic impact to our small businesses, to those who are struggling with, to keep their housing, to keep their jobs, how what do you think the city can do to mitigate that economic impact of COVID-19? So the city has been working with a variety of partners to put together a COVID um, plan, a recovery yeah. plan. So it really is jumping in the middle of that to see where we are and how we best deploy resources. One of the reasons that we put together the Office of Small Business Support is really having people out figuring out how we actually identify what resources are there and being able to deploy resources when they, when they, um, when we actually do receive funds. Cause I think you're right. right. We will get more relief for that. So it really is, I, I think it is, how do we actually execute a plan that the community has put together and identify where those gaps are. So uh, there's been a lot of work done on that. I'm glad that the numbers are going down. I think uh, as a city, we've also got to be pretty creative, especially with small businesses, of what barriers can we take away uh, to make it easier for businesses to do, you know, especially I, I would just mention as a, as a restaurant, um, you know, when you look at other cities during COVID, a lot of them used outdoor dining and outdoor space. I don't think right. we were very creative about being proactive and working to help those businesses. So I think it's how do we think outside the box because they need short-term fixes. They don't need a long they don't need to apply right. for all these long grants. I mean, the city has had a grant process, but we have all these small businesses applying for a total amount of, the city has had $300,000 in their grant pool. I know we're going to get more dollars, but uh, mm -hmm. we need to be able to deploy those those quickly and we'll be prepared to do that. Right. And and speaking of those things like, you know, creative ideas around restaurants and other, other businesses to help them kind of weather the storm of COVID, um, do any ideas of those uh, along those lines stand out to you as things that might help the city in the long term, even even after COVID has kind of oh, ceased absolutely. to be an issue? Absolutely. I mean, I think I think the whole thing that we've done with takeout and making parking spaces available, um, 
out, you know, free outside for, for loading zones. I think um, takeout alcohol has been, I think all the restaurants have loved that. I do think outdoor dining spaces are huge and there's a lot of public space that could put, be put to better use. Um, so I think as a city, we could have been, and we should be a lot more creative and it really animates our public space to make our city look more attractive. So there are some things that have happened with COVID that I think will continue. And I know a lot of restaurants have pivoted the way they do business. So right. um, I, I think we will see maybe some positive long-term effect as long as they can make it past uh, right. the COVID yeah, right. downturn. And then a lot of people, this is tangentially related to COVID and, and you know, the, the eviction moratoriums are hopefully going to mitigate a lot of this issue, but homelessness is a growing issue in the city. A lot of people bring that up to me. A lot of my listeners bring that up to me as, as a growing issue. And especially on the tail end of COVID, as people are struggling to find jobs, to make ends meet, to pay the rent, you know, that is something that is worrying on the horizon. What is your administration plan to do to address homelessness broadly? So I don't know how many people realize, but there are 40 different organizations working in that um, realm, right? Mm -hmm. So so there's 40 organizations working on the homeless issue. And part of the issue has been they work in silos. There's not been a um, coordinated effort. I will say Mayor Burke over the past year has pulled those organizations together to pull together a group, a coalition. And Signal Centers was just awarded a grant to be the backbone agency on coordinating those efforts. So I look forward really to working with Signal Centers to see where those gaps still are. I mean, the number that I've been given is that we have 300 chronic homeless families in our city. The rest are transient. And I think as a city, we've solved some major problems. If we come out with the goal of solving 300 housing 300 families, I think we can do that with this many organizations and people working together. So again, there's been a lot of work done. There's a lot of people that do this work every single day. I plan to sit down with single centers and that organ and that group uh, coalition to see how the city can help, you know, really move it forward quickly. And moving on, this is something that we've touched on a couple of times earlier in, in kind of your opening remarks, Chattanooga is making a name for itself as an outdoor destination. You know, it's a beautiful place. We're attracting a lot of people. We've been named number one outdoor city twice by Outdoor Magazine. And I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on, on this new reputation? How is it going to affect our economy? How can we capitalize on it and make sure we're using it to the best of our ability? And also, how can we manage that growth? Because as we bring in tourists, as we bring in people who are moving here for the outdoors, it does bring a lot of growing pains as well. So how do we balance those two things and make the most of our outdoor resources? So I would say you're right. One of the things that people, with no one, no other city can replicate is our beautiful natural assets. And um, it would surprise a lot of people that we don't even have a parks department. Uh, we have all these beautiful outdoor assets and we have beautiful parks that are underutilized. So one of the first things that we wanna do is reinstitute a world-class outdoor and parks department. Uh, we used to have one. I've been working with a group. Uh, in fact, Dawson Wheeler, one of the uh, founders, original founders of Rock Creek has helped me pull together a group, best of the best, 
to look at what other cities are doing and how we actually program and utilize parks and take that activity into every part of our city, not just the big beautiful parks that we have downtown. So it is having uh, world-class leadership in a parks and rec department. It is programming that has diversity and uh, make sure we utilize all the public space that we have. It is putting a parks foundation in place and other cities have done this uh, as a way to help support and maintain parks and programming. It's a way that neighborhoods can actually contribute to some things that they wanna see in their parks. But a parks foundation would give us so much more flexibility about what we can do. Um, so I'm excited about the opportunity to really, I don't think we have capitalized. I mean, we're known as outdoor city, but again, we don't even have a parks department and we're not actively programming those parks during COVID when a lot of people like to be outside. So we have right. some great opportunities there. But I think as far as the growth and why so many people come here because of our natural beauty is a lot of it is planning. We don't wanna be Nashville and we don't wanna be Atlanta where we get behind the curve and we haven't planned for the right kind of infrastructure and the right kind of development. And that's where I really believe that my background uh, working at River City the past 11 years with planning and growth and partnerships really lends itself to how we grow smartly as a city. <laughs> so um, we look at different parts of town and we look at the uniqueness of what the neighborhood and the community wants to see. And then we, we grow in a smart way. So it includes transportation and great roads and making sure we're connected with, um, uh, we work with the county and we work with the school system. So I think, I mean, it just boils down to planning. You know, Chattanooga 35 years ago really became the city we are today because we put the foundational pieces in place and we planned in the right mm -hmm. way. And uh, we just need to continue that. And as we grow other opportunities, we use that same foundational work um, to grow our city smartly. And I've just got one more specific question. Uh, what, what do you think is the most achievable change that you could make as mayor? Something that no matter what kind of political pressures you have, you know, what kind of disagreements you might have with the city council or anything like that, something that you're 100% certain you can implement and, and make the city a better place? We, uh, we have been known throughout our history as a city that has great public-private partnerships. And I think for the past many years, it's all, that's been in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I know and with the experience that I've had, the coalition building that I've been able to do, that's what I plan to do and, and include all the neighborhoods. So it really is how do we partner where people feel like they have a voice and they've seen their voice heard and it matters and it, it has changed our city. So that's through partnerships and that's through making our city easier and more accessible to do business with. So uh, that will be a cornerstone of what, um, how we run City Hall and that's what I'm looking forward to, to achieving as mayor. And we still got good bit of time left. I just want to open it up, I guess. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want voters to know about your platform and about your campaign? Well, I would say this, Nathan. I think that um, at base, you know, my experience does make me uniquely qualified for this role. Not only have I been a CEO of companies, I've met payroll, I've built teams, I've recruited $1.2 billion worth of investment into downtown. 
Uh, I've worked alongside city government. Um, I understand the relationships of the business community, the development community. And I think to move our city forward um, quickly, and I think everybody wants to see it move forward quickly, it takes understanding all those different components. So what I am excited about is that I feel like this is a job that Chattanooga has prepared me for my entire life, from my public education, uh, working my way through UTC, just understanding different aspects of our community and not a job, even though I will say to anybody, I don't know everything about everything. I mean, I'm a, I'm a very good listener and a problem solver and that's how we're going to approach city government. But it's a job that I feel prepared to go into day one um, and making sure that we do touch every single neighborhood. There's so much potential in our city and I have been so enthused as I've visited neighborhoods and talked to companies and people, people love this city. And um, it's pulling people together, hearing their voice and then um, getting it going and I'm ready to get it going. Great, well, that's all I have. I wanna thank you for your time. And if you wanna know, let the listeners know where they can find out more about you, your website, social media, things like that. Sure. Thank you, Nathan. So it's easy. It's kimwhiteformayor.com. All of my policies are on it. There's ways that you can get involved in the campaign. It's unbelievable, but it's only a few. It's not far at all until early voting. So early voting will take place from February 10th to the 25th. The election mm -hmm. is March 2nd. We have 122,000 people that are registered to vote in the city. The past couple of elections, <laughs> we've had less than 20,000 people. Mm -hmm. Local leadership matters now more than ever. And I encourage people to get involved in the process and get engaged. And I would love and uh, love to have your support and vote and hope you get out and do so. Great. Well, again, thank you very much for your time and good luck in March. All right. Thanks so much, Nathan. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. If you have any questions or feedback, please send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chatcivics, or visit the website chattanoogacivics.com. Thanks for listening.